Welcome back to another edition of the Wits Up podcast. It is awesomeness to see all of your smiling faces out there. Hope you are all doing as well as possible in this crazy, crazy world that we are living in right now. Uh, Before we get underway, uh, I wanted to share with you my current obsession Uh, Well, it's not really current. It's uh, ongoing since I first hit play on the first episode of RuPaul's Drag Race, and I have just become more and more addicted to that show. Uh, But I think it's more actually I'm just addicted to uh, following a lot of the drag queens and the personalities who have appeared on that show Uh, And I've definitely gone down the YouTube rabbit hole uh, to see what else uh, is out there with some of my favorite drag queens. And I think what I love so much about it is that these people are unapologetically themselves, which probably sounds a little bit bizarre because uh, it's essentially men dressed up in drag in women's clothing which doesn't seem like they're being themselves, but essentially they are because they're letting their personality shine and it's it, what makes – it just makes them so happy and um, perhaps when they aren't dressed up in drag, they, they don't feel as confident to give their opinion or uh, to showcase what they're all about. And I don't know, I just – I just think there's something so pure about it um, underneath all of the all of the makeup. Which, if you have not watched how a drag queen puts on their makeup and beats their face, it's called because they have to pat so much makeup into their face. I have no idea, obviously, about makeup, but watching what they do and and how they do it is an absolute art form. Anyway, Alyssa Edwards, who's one of my favorite drag queens, replied to one of my tweets this morning. So I am off my head, giddy with excitement and fangirling. So that's been the start of my day. How's your day been? And what are you currently obsessed with? Now, Kate Doughty, which is not actually your last name anymore. You're transitioning over to, do you pronounce it Ness? Yeah, correct. You got them both right. <laughs> Not many people get yes. Dowdy right or Ness right, so you're nailing it. What do you normally get? Doherty, Doggerty, and oh. uh, Ness because of that AE there. I get Naeus, Nass. Oh, uh, yep. So good job. Thank you. I've done my research. That's all I've <laughs> researched. <laughs> So (laughs) that is, yeah, exactly. But so I find this quite an interesting topic. Um, Someone with a profile who gets married and takes their partner's surname, Mm. that that transition is hard from a, you know, someone in the public uh, sphere. So for myself, for example, one of the reasons I didn't take Brett's last name is because I guess People know me as Steph Hansen through my job. Uh, also, his last name is Irwin, and Steph Irwin was just far too close to Steve Irwin, and I couldn't, I couldn't cope with that. <laughs> um, I like that. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, what, 
I, I imagine it's hard for you as well, transitioning over to a different surname when you have this public persona as a professional triathlete. Yeah, it, it was, it, it's an interesting one because um, it's when my race suit came out for last season, like <laughs> Jali would look at it, my husband would look at it and go, oh yeah, so you're still a doughty. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm like, hang on, hang on. We're married, babe. It's okay. Like, I love you. Um, and yeah, he was, he just liked to see the nest, I think, out there. And um, yeah. it's hard because everything is in Doughty and like my website, even like, you know, social media stuff. I'm known as Doughty when I'm racing. And it's funny, if you look at some of my profiles, like, I've still had to put like Doughty in brackets because it's like I'm still in that transition period. Like, mentally and physically and then um this season was going to be my race suit um with Ness on it so it was like okay I've finally done it and then the last thing was the passport change and I had done all the um documents to change it I'm like I'm going to get this done and this was about a year ago and you know what it's like when you've got a little baby breastfeeding and spending like a couple of hours filling out paperwork is tedious enough as it is and I went to the um the post office to change it I was like yes I've got this far I'm winning all I gotta do is this and I'm done she goes sorry you're gonna have to come back with your driver's license and your married name and I'm like oh I like I need my passport to do that like I need it in anyway so I had a little moment in the post office and kind of canned the idea and now that the games are postponed I've postponed that for a little while longer too so it is on my list to do that. <laughs> change my passport Oh, God, life admin is hard. Yeah. Just I don't care now. People can just call me whatever. <laughs> I, I respond to all of the above. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. And I did you find that it was um, like obviously there's the admin side of things but also just that um, that persona out there? Like did was that? Did that sort of mess with you a little bit mentally that you would potentially be known as a different person? Like was there that side of things as well or is it just really a lot more to do with admin? I think it was more an admin thing. Um, it, it was definitely hard because um, when it came to some ambassador roles that I had or content that mm. I was putting out there, they're like, what are we call you and then it was hard because I was still racing under Doughty so visually in anything with our race suits it was Doughty but then other stuff was coming out as Ness and so that was that's a that's a bit tricky but most of it was admin and then I think yeah pretty cool because you'd get a start list and it would be like Kate Ness and initially people might have been like oh who's that and I'm like like (laughs) under the radar yeah but they would figure it out pretty quickly um so, and I, I like I'm kind of I'm very proud to have that name. Um, so, I, I like it. It's tricky. Um, it's another name that's hard to pronounce, and um, <laughs> just keep the ball rolling. Okay, so from a wits up point of view, because mm. you are a wits up ambassador, <laughs> what would you prefer, prefer us to go with Ness? Uh, let's go with Ness. Let's just right. move forward with the times, and we'll stick with Ness. <laughs> Okay, I'm onto it. I will let everyone on the team know. <laughs> you can I hope you, my dog just barked. I hope you can't hear him. You can, but oh. uh, I feel I feel like dogs come up in this podcast more than 
uh, the subject triathlon. So I'm okay with it and I'm pretty sure our listeners are. That's good. Yeah, what kind of dogs do you have? I have two. I've got an English Springer Spaniel who's nearly four um, mm. and a little, uh, I'm going to say she's a Westie Cross Pomeranian or Carn Terrier. Um, she's 12, but we got her at eight weeks old from the Lost Dogs home. So, um, Oh, wow. Yeah, she's a great dog. Um, they both are. And- what did you say, a Springer Spaniel? English Springer right? Spaniel, yeah. Are they a little bit crazy? A little bit. Um, they're hunting dogs. So, <laughs> you know, he's a little bit crazy, yes. Um, I He comes running with me, so he would just run and run and run and run and run. Um, can be a little bit crazy. They, they're highly intelligent, though, so you need to, um, they need to be sort of stimulated mentally more than anything. Um, but no, look, no, he's a, they, and he's so good with kids. He's so friendly. There's not a, um, mean bone in his body. The only thing is he thinks he's a cat and 25 kilos sitting on you isn't, um, ideal at times, but, um, yeah, he, he fits in well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, Henry's the same. He just will keep going all day, uh, and thinks he's a lap dog as well. He's 11 this year. Yeah, he's similar. Yeah, they'd be yeah. quite similar. Yeah. They're working dogs. Um, yeah, exactly. And like you say, they need to be mentally stimulated as well as physically. Um, I, I guess that's why they're they're easy to train, but then also can be hard to train because they've got a mind of their own as well. Like they they just want to do things. Yeah, they get set in their ways, and I don't know if it was when um for you when Frankie was born, but. Django, the English Springer, he was just like, "What? Like, what's going on? This is this is my territory." But he had, we, he adjusted pretty good after chasing, yeah, Henry, chasing his shadow for about three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> he was fine. Uh, yeah, Henry is pretty good. Pretty, I think we yeah we took some um, very deliberate steps when Frankie came home. Um, Although, can I tell you a quick story about when we first brought Frankie home with Henry? So we, you know, we had this plan. Our friend had come and got a couple of blankets from the hospital so that they smelled of Frankie and they brought them home so that Henry could sniff them. And, you know, so we'd read all the stuff. And then when we actually came home with Henry, uh, with Frankie, um, I I walked in first because I'm I'm the alpha, um, which may come as a surprise to everyone. Um, and then Brett brought Frankie in and because the whole idea was for me to make a big fuss about Henry and then sort of slowly introduce uh, Frankie to him. But for whatever reason, it was like he knew that something was happening Mm. and I walked into a house that he had shat and vomited throughout the entire house. Like it was... It was a literal shit show. Um, <laughs> yeah, which was so weird because he's never done done that. Um, we had someone here at the house looking after him and spending time with him. So it's not like we left him at home for five days. Um, and I, we've both been away and other people have looked after him before. Yeah. Um, and But it was like he just knew something was different that particular morning and I walked into the house so like I've been a mother for five days, walked into a house, and it was it was also really cold in the house as well. 
And I had to walk around the entire house cleaning it up before Brett then brought Frankie in. And like we met, we were meant to have this really positive, lovely introduction of all the kids and the new family. And that's how it started. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't so much fun. So, so I guess it was all uphill from there. That's exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. So anyway. Um, Let's go back. You're a WITSAP ambassador. Yeah. Um, how, do you, how do you feel about that? <laughs> yeah, I, I feel very privileged to be a WITSAP ambassador. It's great. I mean, we. it's funny how you and I met actually. Like it was quite a random um, introduction to it all. And then um, WITSAP is, is I've always um, enjoyed your like the content from WITSAP and what it stands for and I'm super proud to be a part of that. And to be a part of that community. And then I, I guess as well, for those of you out there who don't know, we sort of uh, um, lined up with Live Cycling Australia to be, I guess, like a co-partner um, of Kate's. And what, what I found interesting was that is your – so Live is the – I guess the easiest way to describe it to everyone is they're the sister company of Giant. Um, and your first bike – was a giant, I believe, and that was – you've still got that bike. Oh, yeah, I do. I, I remember <laughs> saying to you, you should have a look at it. I, I take that back now. Plus it's probably like, – <laughs> it's, it's out down the side of the house. But, yeah, and it, I, I don't know what type of bike it is, but it's not a road bike for sure. It's a little <laughs> get-around bike. And I did my first triathlon on that and I was I gunning it, it. I just, uh, but I was going so slow. Um, did – but it was the is it the one with the gears down on the down tube? Is that it's got so because I have to have all the gears running um, on the one side. It's just got this little knob that I turn to change some of the gears. Like it would just click as I turned it on the left. I didn't really know what I was doing to be honest on that bike. <laughs> um, it's 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 yeah. It's a bit of a masterpiece. Uh, yeah, so my first bike was giant. My first TT bike was a giant. Um, yeah. I used to ride my TT bike. Like initially one of my first races, it wasn't even set up because I had a race and I didn't have enough time to set it up to run all the gears through the one side and the brakes. I'm like, oh, let's just go for it. So the less I knew at the time, the better. Just rode it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay, so can you – so this is – you know that this is something that I find fascinating and we actually have a video coming up about how your bike is built. Um, so for, for everyone who doesn't know, Kate is a paratriathlete and can you – now this is, again, where I don't always know the right terminology, so I'm going to I'm gonna ask you to be patient with me but also to educate me a little bit better. Yeah. Um, so paratriathlete is the correct terminology, right? Yes. And you're a triathlete, no, so you're, an, you're a paratriathlete at the Paralympics. You have or you, you want to. Yeah, so I represented, so I, I'm, I am born without a right hand. Um, I have a wrist, so I'm quite long. A lot of people that are born that are limb deficient, that is the term. Um, is that the term, limb deficient? I think so. I think. Wow. I'm not fully down with the lingo. Um, I just know. I, don't know. <laughs> you don't even know. 
I just don't have a right hand. I know that. But I've got a wrist. So I, it's quite rare, I think. Um, and I've got finger buds and I can move one, which I can't show you. But it's really cool because it can freak people out. And I can also twist them. So You have shown me the twist and, yes, it freaked me out. Yeah. But you know what? <laughs> they're, um, they're so good for um, tying my shoelaces, um, carrying stuff, um, tying my hair. So oh. I've got a wrist. So it changes a lot because I can utilise that wrist. Um, a lot of people are a bit shorter in the arm. So I was born that way. So I don't know any different. Um, yeah. And yeah, so in para triathlon, so I race able bodied races as well. But for um, ITU, para triathlon, and I represented Australia in um, and Rio, that was my first, first gig at the Paralympics in um, triathlon. Um, and I'm yeah. PT5. So we are all categorized according to our disability and severity right. of our disability without going into detail because there's a really awesome article on wits up that people can refer to <laughs> of different categories and how it all works so am i right in saying okay so you're a paratriathlete and then you uh the other athletes are referred to as able bods is that Again, the right terminology, that, or is that what just what you say? That's what we say. Yeah, that's okay. We, yeah, able bods sounds all sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? But um, well, I guess I mean, and like you just said, you you know no different. I um, and and just trying to learn the right terminology, and I feel like everyone's just. It was, do you know what? It was really fun being at some of your training sessions with you and Liam, absolutely taking the piss out of each other, and <laughs> it just not being a thing. And I was like, oh, that's how that's how it should be. But I imagine that it's not always like that when you have people, um, I guess, from the outside looking in. Um, I think there's one unique thing about when you're in the paratri world, and um, I've was in equestrian for a long time as well um and that's para equestrian um so mm -hmm. it, it the beauty of it is when you've got a disability and you're in that that space like you form this unique sort of relationship with your peers that like you, you can cut you really take the piss out of each other and it's only like we only we're the only ones that have the authority to do so. Like, so if you're able bod, you can't you can't join in. <laughs> um, I remember once we were in Florida, like pre Rio, and all of us were trying to argue why we deserve the front seat. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't <laughs> like to shotgun. I'm like, yeah, but I don't have a hand. And then another one's like, yeah, but I can't see. And I'm like, well, clearly you don't need the front seat. And then. I was like, yeah, but I don't have a leg. I need more leg room to stretch it out. And then someone's like, well, I can't actually use my legs. I'm like, okay, well, whatever, you win. Um, but, so, yeah, it's kind of funny, um, you know, and I think people that the one thing that people have said, and my coach, Danielle, she says this a lot, she's like, oh, do you need a hand? And I'm like, uh I'm like yes, <laughs> have you got one? Like, mate, that would make my day. Um, so I think you, know, you just got to let people sort of know and once they get to know you, they realise sort of where you stand with your level of comfort with your disability and talking about it. I understand and yeah. I, I respect the fact that people that have acquired a disability, it can be a lot different because their world has totally changed for a lot of different reasons. So for me, I don't know any different. Um, so you have to respect that too. 
um, they're at a different place mentally. So, yeah, yeah, that I yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. There's no blanket um, rule there. You know, it's getting to know each person as an individual, and and yeah, knowing. I mean, and that goes with anyone. Mm. Like, you can't, can't be taking the piss out of people you don't know. Um, yeah, I think that's yeah, that's interesting. Can can I give you a hand? I reckon I've probably said that to you with without even thinking, and you've probably laughed, and I had no idea why. <laughs> and I think I know some people initially have said it and be like, oh, oh, like oh, yeah. So, and sometimes I just let it go, but sometimes I just have to like, you know, make a joke out of it. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, okay. Let's let's um let's fill people in a little bit more about oh, the Kate Ness, about the, the bike. <laughs> totally oh, the bike. Did, no, didn't. Yeah. No, I think we finished that didn't we? Oh, yeah. How it's all. Yeah. Okay. Let's go. Move on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, because I've. I will be uh, publishing a video about how. Uh, oh no! Yeah, we did. We didn't. Okay, so with Kate's disability, um, because you can't change gears and or use the brakes on the hang on, on, on the, the left hand side. On the right, right side. Hand, on the right side, everything. So the, the gears, the brakes, everything has to go through the left hand side of the bike, which I find fascinating. Um anyway, so we've pulled together a video of them building the bike for Kate so that you can see what they do to to fix it but the fact that you um used a bike as a able-bodied person is blows my mind you're crazy no i just didn't know what i was doing so <laughs> i was just one gear the whole time so lucky it was a flat course and just go round and round was that penrith um oh yeah yeah you're pretty safe yeah. away from heels there that's for yeah. sure <laughs> Um, okay, let's wind the clock back because, and you've already mentioned mentioned it, but you used to do para equestrian. Yeah, that's is that correct. Right? Yeah. Okay. How? Um, actually, your teammate uh, Emma Jeffco, we spoke a fair bit about horses because she's quite horse mad as well. Do you guys talk about she's, horses um, a lot? Not enough. No. Um, yeah. Right. Should, but we we always because we're in different states at the moment. If there's Emma's Instagram's full of horses, so that gives me like I live vicariously through her now. Um, yeah, and her horse passion. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think I think that's just mutual respect. If you like horses, yeah. you're in. Like, don't have to talk about it. It's done. It's like with, you're in the. It's like with McKillie. You're in pony club. Yeah, McKillie Jones. First time I met her, it like, it just like even though she's this like idol in triathlon world, it's like oh, you have a horse, and that was it. Like. That was just our bond, and that's just what. Oh, of course. Yeah. So we just talk about horses yeah. the whole time. Uh, yeah, because she's super horse mad, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how does one get into equestrian? My best friend at high school uh, had horses and was in equestrian. By the way, yeah, it's um. Can I join the club? Yes, you're in. <laughs> how did you get into para equestrian? So I was competing. I just rode Ablebod for a long, long time. Um, so it goes way back when, when I was a kid. So my dad's in the horse racing industry uh, and my oh. mum used to ride competitively. And 
ah, look, I was, my brother always wanted a motorbike. I wanted a horse. Standard, right? Like pony, pony. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. My parents eventually caved and um, started riding. Like, and it just had a pony, went to pony club. And again, it was same as like when I talk about the bike. I really didn't, I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I loved horses. And one of the biggest hurdles for me was figuring out how to hold the reins. Um, so I just sort of, it was a lot of trial and error. I would tie the tie a knot in the reins and sort of ride one-handed like a cowboy and, um, yeah. yeah, and I like, and then I had a myelectric, like a prosthetic hand and I used that to play, hold a violin bow and thought, oh, well, let's use it on the horse. This is a good opportunity to hold the reins. And one day I, um, I fell off and as soon as mum realised I was okay, we were like, oh, where's the prosthetic? And it, so my arm, it's in a, on a socket, right? So my arm had slid out of the socket of the prosthetic and my horse was still like, I felt like he was holding, oh but he was probably only trotting. And he was like at the other end of the paddock and all you can see is this prosthetic bouncing <laughs> on off the side of the horse on the reins. It was so funny. Um, so we gave up that idea. And then, look, cut a long story short, as I got um, better and more experienced at riding, I um, – it came down to simply just tying a loop, like putting a little slit through the leather rein and putting another leather loop through that. And I, because I have a wrist, as I said before, I can then, I just yeah. held it through that. And then eventually when I was riding at the top level in Abelbod, so I was riding at FEI level, which for those that don't know, um, it's when you go, so I was doing dressage in the big arena yeah. where you ride around and look like you're doing nothing and your horse is doing all this fancy stuff. That's dressage. Yep. <laughs> Um, but wait, can I ask a question? Yeah. With dressage, yeah. don't is that when you plait the horse's mane as well? Yeah. Like it's yeah. it's about it's about yeah, it's a little bit like rhythm gymnastics and like you you're judged on appearance as well, right? Not not for dressage. It definitely helps. So there's oh. there's showing, which is different. A lot of that is oh. look. So dressage is um it's based on um the horse's movements how well they execute the movement. So dressage established from um, a lot of movements came from the war and um, oh. them riding the horses. So when you see the horses lift the high leg sort of on the spot, like that prancing kind yep. of thing, it's really hard to explain without sort of visuals. But so a lot of that came from um, Piaf and Passage is what they call it on the spot and then slowly stepping forward. A lot of that came from stepping over dead bodies and the training of these horses. Um, yeah, oh my it's goodness. Eerie, but a lot of those <laughs> movements have come from that. So a part, a lot of them also natural movements for the horse as well. But it, it's a really h- hard skill. Um, it takes to get a horse to the top level can take anywhere from seven to ten years. Um, oh really? Yeah, there's a lot to it. So yeah, I was competing able body for a long time, um, and then I really, I always wanted to go to the the Paralympics, and I, to be honest, I always thought that was going to be an equestrian and. Yeah. Initially, I got I wasn't eligible. They wouldn't classify me for para equestrian because I had a wrist. So they um, that was like a no. I'm like, okay, but I don't have a hand, and I have to hold four reins because at the high levels you have two bits in the horse's mouth, so therefore you have four reins. And oh. um, so that didn't really make sense to anyone. And um, my mum stopped. That's where I get ooh dog barking. 
Um, yeah, that's Henry locked in the bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> At least it's not our children locked away. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, no judgment. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, cut a long story short, I ended up getting classified by some the head classifiers overseas and um, I had two really close attempts at the Games and I went on the traje- trajectory of um, investing in a young horse and um, what that meant was... I could train the horse and educate it my own way rather than sort of potentially getting a horse that had been there and done that. Um, And it took a little bit longer. So come trials for um, Beijing, you know, I look back now and it was a really, um, really good experience. I made the long list, but we just weren't ready as a team. I was still quite inexperienced as a rider and my horse was really young and um, we didn't have the best performance on when it came to the trials, but that's okay. I learned a lot and then um, went on to compete at the World Equestrian Games in America and that event is every four years in equestrian, so it's a, quite a big event. Um, unlike triathlon, we have world champs every year. So that was huge. I did that. Um, well, it was a bit of a tough time, that event, um, but it was probably the pinnacle of my sport when it comes to level of competition. And then after that, yeah. um, my horse he didn't travel well to that event so come London trials um I I wasn't we were as a combination we weren't really a key um key potential for the London games because of travel and where I was at with other things in life so I stepped down and thought I'd never go to the games and all of a sudden I went with triathlon so it was um really interesting part time of my life there's so much to unpack from this conversation. Um, can we can we dive a little bit deeper into all of this? Yeah, do you mind? Go. Sure. So so when you okay, I'm just trying to make notes um, to remember all the questions I've got to ask because it's a completely different world, and I feel like um, I don't know, like I feel like it's almost a little bit forgotten or under estimated how much work it is with you and the horse it's not like someone else can train the horse up and go all right there you go off you go and do your thing it's clearly not like that right they're your partnership yeah you definitely are and um that's that's one thing I really miss probably about riding is that that bond I have with my horse um I had a couple of horses throughout my career and they were they all have their own personalities. Um, you know, they're like yeah. big, big dogs, I guess. And I also used to think yeah. of them as like different cars. I had one car. He was like the Volvo, kind of like safe and cruisy. And, and then I had one yeah. that was a little bit like this little Ferrari, like rocket horse thing. And yeah, and they were, but the horse I ended up um, riding for a lot of my career that took me to the highest level, he was just, you know, yeah, oh, I don't think you'd get a horse like him again. He um, was just so gentle, and but the beauty of working with a horse is they really force you to um, reflect on yourself because they they sense what you're feeling. They'll sense your fear. Um, they teach you to be calm. Um, that, but they're also so forgiving, so they allow you to learn. Um, 
and teach you in subtle ways. And they, they'll tell you things. Like a te- they also teach you how to be more receptive and of reading, um, I guess, things besides listening to someone's language, so their, their body language, how they move, how they react, um, how they respond to signals you're giving them when, they're ri- when you're writing them. Um, so that's, it's, a real, it's a real rare thing that I, I genuinely miss having that connection. Um, yeah. But that being said, you know, it's not always that easy because you go into a competition and, like, I've had a horse that's like, yeah, no, we are not going in there today. We're not going into that arena. Um, so, you know, they can be a bit unpredictable. I think what, when I transitioned into triathlon, what was so, um, I learned so much more again about myself in that when you're with equestrian, you can, you know what you have to do to execute that. And it's really about getting that, um, partnership right at the time and getting the horse warmed up and prepared and, um, whatever however that works for you and your horse um but it was really a lot of focus on the horse and them as them as the athlete whereas going triathlon it obviously is more about me as the athlete so I only had one person to deal with out on that course and that was me so it shifted the focus a bit and there's a lot of things I wish I saw probably knew more in equestrian that I learned from triathlon and vice versa so yeah. A lot I could bring, but yeah. So um, you je- you're left with one one person to deal with, and sometimes that's worse because it's all on yeah. you <laughs> and dealing with yourself yeah. and doing that real internal um, reflection. So yeah, I um, it, it's great. I think if people are say they're scared of horses, I think don't be because um, they they are really beautiful animals. Often misunderstood what, many yeah. things. Yeah, I mean, I find them fascinating, and I think just in the just um, quite recent years, I've learnt about them as f- forms of therapy animals. Um, and hearing people like yourself and Emma speak about them, I can quite quite easily see how they can be a form of therapy or work with with um, kids or people who've been through trauma or, or for whatever reason. So they're not just, you know, to be ridden, it's it's everything else to do with it is is quite fascinating. Yeah, I have um I've seen that. They use them a lot in therapy and recovery and um mm. I think we all need a bit of that in our lives actually. <laughs> I think um yeah, they're just they're amazing animals. And I know if I had, I say to my husband every now and then, if I had my time over, I would do it differently. Like I, um, I, I would just, a lot of it, my time in the sport, you know, it, it was about performance and we forget, it kind of makes a bit emotional talking about it, but we just forget. And it's like with ourselves too. Sometimes we're so goal oriented and performance oriented in sport and we just got to sit back a bit and just appreciate the small wins relationships like I needed I think I would just nurture that relationship more with my horse and just you know appreciate for what he what he taught me that wasn't related to performance or executing certain um, movements Mm. so spending more time with him in the stables and just being I think it's one thing we all don't do enough as humans as well with ourselves and others and do you is that 
Do you think that's also um, that sort of um, line of thought is something that has come up quite recently considering the Olympics and Paralympics have been postponed, the world that we're living in in COVID? Do you think like you've that this is what's sort of been brought up recently or is that something that you kind of um, figured out, you know, in the last few years? Um, no, yeah, look, I, I there's been a lot of coming up recently in regards to, okay, a racing's been taken off. We all have, we are forced to sit with ourselves. So I think um, personally I've, you know, done that and just dealt with some of what that means and what that looks like. Um, for me as an individual and what my identity is outside of sport. But I def- with my horse and that relationship, that definitely sort of came about. Um, so my horse, uh, my horse went to a lovely home. So I, uh, I decided to sort of hang up the boots um, 2014 and he went to a lovely home. And then I got, and I stayed in touch with him. I went and visited him twice. So um I think when you don't have something in your life anymore, you, you, there's a time when you look back and you know, oh, I, I there were a lot of things I had that I probably didn't appreciate appreciate at the time. Mm. So, um, because I, you know, we're focused on other things, and I think that's happened to a lot of people at the moment with COVID and everything. But yeah, I um, <laughs> so he was going to be a part of our wedding initially. Um, I was going to come in on Al and his new owner said, oh, yeah, that would be great. And that was almost my my dream initially. I thought I'd be on our 10-acre um, property, get married there and come in on, on Al and do it all sort of that cool way. And then... Um, what was his name, Al? His, yeah, his paddock name was Al, A-L, but his competition name was, like his actual name was Al Capone. So <laughs> he was such a dude. and. Um, yeah, so uh, I got this. So it was actually it was, it's a bit of a shit story to be honest. But I um got this message on my phone, like Messenger, I think it was. But I was out with the girls for my the day before the wedding, so I didn't look at it. I just was distracted, obviously. And um, the next day was the wedding, and and then the day after the wedding, I was like, oh, my phone. I went through it, and I was literally like the morning with everyone after the wedding, and I'd read that message that he had been put down the day before my wedding so in the oh. I actually didn't decide to go through with him at the wedding so I didn't follow it up with the owner um a few months before the wedding because I was pregnant so I thought let's just stay on the ground um for the wedding yeah, yeah and yeah so that just threw me um and yeah so that that was really tough um but yeah I think I think there is an element to it especially with COVID and as athletes, like we are so into what we do um, and we are all so planned, we're so planned about racing and we prepare for certain races over a 12, two, four-year period and when we don't have that, we have sort of forced to be like, okay, um, this is me, what do, what, do I, what do I like to do that's not involved in racing or performance and some people are a bit more established in that with um, other businesses or other careers, some not so much. So, um, mm. And it's also given us opportunity to understand more about ourselves and where our strengths really lie and 
um, what we're grateful for. So, yeah, I think I've, I've been on that trajectory too, as probably a lot of other people have for the last few months. Do you, do you think the tools that you, because for those of you who don't know, Kate is also a psychologist. Um, do, you, do you think being a psychologist has helped give you the tools to be able to, I don't even want to say just cope with what's going on right now um, cause, because I, I feel, and, and, you know, correct me if, if I'm wrong because this is, you know, this is your bag, you're a professional, um, but I feel like it's important to, to recognise certain feelings and almost sit with them for a while um, and then learn to sort of manage and cope and look forward. Um, for me personally, I, I feel like I got things a little bit backwards when all this COVID stuff happened and I just tried to fix everything straight away instead of just, stopping for a little bit and breathing and then, you know, just sitting. Like we've come up with a term with a couple of my mates, just sitting in the shit for a bit um, and actually being okay with that. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what we struggle with. Um, the biggest thing is is change. Like we've all experienced change in some way, shape or form um, over the last few months. And I think with with the change, it brings uncertainty and um, also a sense of we've lost a bit of control with our lives, um, or and the predictability of that of what's happening. So um, yeah, I, I was like that too. Like it's like I had to sit with it, and it's not fun sometimes, but it's really just paying attention to to, my, to our thoughts and. Um, not necessarily trying to answer that, but I think as athletes, we always try to, there's always like, if I train this way, it produces this result. If I eat this way, it produces this result. Um, if I put recovery and I get these results. So we always, it's always a bit like, um, X leads to Y. Whereas at the moment it's a bit like uh, X leads to what, like, you know, it's pretty so, um, like, our, our brains just are like, um, like it's so confusing. And, yeah, I found that um, I had to be a bit more kinder to myself. So I had to imagine I would be speaking to a friend who was going through a tough time and how would I support them. And I'm like, okay, Kate, let's do that to yourself. Like, practice what you preach. I found I had to sit a lot more, as you said you were doing with your friends, like sit in the shit and yeah. just reflect on it because it's – you. You, you're subconsciously like there's something trying to help you there like what is it why does this bother me um and I had to just pull pull the reins in a bit pardon the pun but like just to sort of set a bit more realistic expectations and lower my expectations on some things so for me I had to find a bit more balance in my life mm. um with motherhood and work um and training and um initially it's like okay I'm gonna lose a bit of fitness here I'm not going to be where maybe some of my um, competitors are. But for me, that gave me um, more strength uh, mentally to have a bit more balance to then know that I can sit back, be able to breathe um, literally in the moment and um, reflect and re-energise so, so I can slow down to then speed up again when I need to and be ready to come out of it at the other end like, right, I've, I've sat with the shit, I haven't ignored the shit. Um, I've learnt more. What have I learnt? Um, 
and let's go. Let's sort of move on to the next part. But I think it's something we, we constantly probably need to do all the time. Yeah. So I, I definitely have spent a lot of time. So when I when I race, like I've talked to a lot of people when I sort of present to some school groups and sports and stuff about, um, and a lot of people hear it more now, is about um, meditation and mindfulness. And to some, some people are all over it. Some don't don't really like it. Other people find it hard. Um, and it is, it's like going to the gym. You have to keep sort of going to see the results and practice. Mm-hmm. And I've always talked about it from a, a racing perspective. So the informal um, meditation and um, racing for me is just really about trying to stay in that moment and focusing on my breath. And um, there's also other elements with the self-talk and what you're focusing on. But for me, I've always been drawn to that breath um, and trying to stay in the moment. So that was the informal part. But I think in the last few months I've had to really spend a lot more time in the formal part and that's I'm not so I'm just sitting. That's really hard to sit with our own thoughts. Um, yeah. We get distracted and that's okay. It's just you, you are and your brain is there's lots of stuff going on there but it's just the awareness of that and what's going through your brain because, you know, we think all the time but we're also doing a lot of things at the same time, but when we don't really think about what's actually going on in our heads. Um, yeah. So it's just creating more awareness of that and not being judgmental of what we're thinking. So don't be so hard on ourselves. And I've had to spend more time in that space. Um, and, yeah, you, you learn a lot about yourself too. For sure. I feel like... Um... Yeah, I, th- I mean, you're nailing it all, but one of the overwhelming feelings I get when I try and back off is the guilt, mm. is the guilt of, but I've got this to do, I've got that to do, and this could be work or I could be playing with Frankie or I could be doing this or I could be learning this. And there's just, I just constantly have that in my head I should be doing something else so whenever I try to sit still I just can't get rid of those thoughts and I think what resonated with with me with what you just said is that it takes practice it's a skill it's like going to the gym or going to a session that you don't want to do you need to make time for it and yeah make it become a part of your everyday or your your weekly sort of program or whatever yeah I think too um it doesn't have it can look different for everyone so you don't have to sit in that formal meditation space in the quietness all the time so a lot of it for me um you know I'd have Fenric for a lot of the time so it would be walking so you can you can utilize that that mindfulness and being present by just in your walk get off your phone and like just look at what's around you and that awareness and you can really do a lot of breathing at the same time um so and you can focus on your thoughts there as well so there's ways you can um implement it into your day without it being without it changing your day too much um yeah so it's it's funny it's little changes like getting off your phone like I just, I it's such an addiction for me, um, and I, I know how important how important it is, and I feel like that's where things like swimming, for example, is a really good one for me to actually do. Do even though I'm not a fan of swimming, um, particularly at the moment because I'm so unfit and we can't do it. 
Um, but you can't, you don't have your phone there. You can't, like, you just physically cannot pick it up. And I felt the same with when I would go stand up paddleboarding. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, and also I guess just um, that 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 old um, sort of saying of salt water therapy, whether you're sweating or crying or just being, you know, near the the ocean, the salt water, there is something therapeutic about it. Yeah. Um, makes you want to go paddleboarding when you're talking about it. Yeah, same. <laughs> Especially this morning there was fog everywhere and that would have just been amazing. And all I'm thinking about, obviously, are photos that I could have taken oh. with the fog and the standard board. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely get putting the phone down. And unfortunately, like, there's so many things that we rely on our phones for. Like I went out this morning yeah. um, quickly and I didn't have my phone and I just realised how many times I went to check my phone or what I, you know, what I was dependent on my phone for. I'm like, oh, get your head out of your phone. Like, just get your head, yeah. on, like, you know, we forget that it distracts us so much from what we're actually doing. Um, yeah. So, but my, that being said, there are so many good programs you can use to help you with being more mindful and there's some, some great ones out there. So I don't discourage using it because it can help you understand the practice a bit more and um, the process and educate you a bit more about it. Um but, yeah, putting our phones down does help. Yeah. Well, I'll make that a goal. That's going to be one of my mini goals. I have also said on this podcast numerous times that I'm going to do that. I think it's uh, is it, oh, it's one of the apps. It's one of the mindfulness apps. And I've downloaded it and I still haven't done it. What, it. Smiling Mind? Smiling is, what? is it called Smiling Mind? That's a good one. No, I haven't heard of that one. Um, one Great Mind or something? No. Oh, one. one Giant Mind. That one. Yeah, that's another <laughs> good one too. That's, I've heard. That does, that does a lot, I think, more of the formal meditation, which is good. Um, oh, smiling okay. Mind can do shorter ones. There's, smiling Mind's good because it's got little, and we are so so off the trajectory here of probably what we're supposed to be talking about, but there's um, small little ones. So I find it great because there's like a three-minute one or there's a four-minute one. There's some related to sport. But there's some oh. um, that for when you're out walking, there's some with your kids, there's some specific to being in lockdown, homeschooling. Um, so they've been really on the ball um, with the times at the moment and they've, they've got some really good content there. Ah, all right. I'll check that out. I'll add that to the list of apps that I've downloaded that I haven't actually opened. Don't worry, I've got a few there. <laughs> um yeah we went on a massive tangent but as you know this that's how this podcast goes so um who cares really people are still listening i assume there's still one or two people tuned in this is is good stuff it's good stuff (laughs) kate's got such an interesting story and there's still more to come after this little break so please Don't tune out just yet. Now, if you want to help us continue to bring you some great, insightful stories here on the Wits Up podcast, please consider becoming a member. We need your support. All you need to do is click the link in the description of this episode and head on over to our Wits Up Patreon platform. We we try not to talk too much about triathlon, but... You you kind of said that you were wanting to go to the Olympics in para-equestrian. 
uh, and then things didn't turn out, so you just went for triathlon instead. That just rolls <laughs> off your tongue so easily. <laughs> I've said it a few um, times. I've told that story a few times. You have. and I, I, and But I feel like our audience, a lot of our audience will not know the story, so I, okay. I am going to ask you, to, to tell it again, you can do a shortened version because I know you're probably sick of talking about no, it. No, no. But my favourite thing about it is, oh, yeah, it didn't quite work out. So instead I just decided to do not just a different sport but a different sport that involves three different sports within said sport. So talk us through that decision-making process and how that came about. Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll go back to when I was in equestrian and I um, so – I had the I made the team for this, the Australian team for World Equestrian Games, so a big event. It's almost like parallel to like the Olympics and Paralympics because every four years. So I made that team, and um, that was over in Kentucky, and it was one of um, the the most um, memorable year for me because I had made the team for the first time for like a huge um, event, um, and so my mum was a part of my equestrian career and I see some athletes out there that have that really beautiful partnership with their mothers and I just I think it's amazing too because it reminds me of what it was like um, for me in equestrian and um, she was there through all of my, you know, at all of my competitions and everything So and she understood the sport. So to outsiders looking mm. in, I mean, I even for me, like watching dressage can be a bit boring but for me it was about competing in it. Um, so it's hard if people don't really know. And it's like with triathlon too, you, you know, you celebrate the small wins. You can have a race where you may not have won, but you, there's something in that that was like, wow, I absolutely nailed that. And so mm. my mum was my partner in crime there where she, she, would, she got it and she understood the highs and lows and the parts of it all. So it came to the World Championships. And for me leading up to that, all the qualifying was um, throughout all around Australia and um, unfortunately at the time my mum's uh, breast cancer had come back probably 12 months earlier, um, so five years after she initially had it. And she um, was an amazing woman, so courageous in her approach to life and passionate about stuff. And her, she back then there wasn't so much out there about alternative medicine and um prevention I guess in the way of food so like green smoothies raw food and when she had breast cancer the first time um after that she she was became super passionate about um alternative medicine but also food food is our medicine and she became one of the first accredited raw food chefs in Australia and um so her her passion approach to it was um through her food and some alternative medicine and unfortunately she chose not to take any path of western medicine so chemo and radiation um and sadly so you know she had what was maybe the size of a pea lump that grew from her uh, this tumor grew like from the basically it was from the length of her collarbone down to below her rib cage and um, I was her full-time carer through that. So I'd be dressing, the, it was like a really pretty gross wound. 
um, and looking after her but also experiencing, you know, I'm watching her dying at the same time. So that was um, my, my journey there. And so I then went to World Equestrian Games um, while mum was at home sick and my horse actually nearly died at that event um, because he didn't travel very well and they, horses get something that is called laminitis so it's in their feet and um, and they recover or they don't really and so he had a 50-50 chance of whether he was going to recover. Um, so it was a pretty pretty pivotal year for me. In the end he did. He was okay, like we competed but unfortunately we didn't have the opportunity to perform what, out to our capabilities but I was just so grateful that he, he survived and got him through that event um, and eventually how, got him home. Sorry, how old were you when this uh, was all happening? This, was, uh, this is 2010, so I was 26. Wow. Yeah, and I also, so he had to wait. He stayed over in America for, I think, two or three months before he came home um, and it was a really risky thing because he got sick through the travel so it was related mm. to stress. Um, our horses went on a 72-hour flight. So um, there's so much to the story. I, try, I won't try not to talk too much about horses and stuff, but I just I would never do that again to a horse. And um, I don't think it was just a last-minute thing. I would, uh, the carrier that was going to take the horses pulled out at last minute, so the horses had to go on a 72-hour journey, um, which took a toll on a lot of the horses. Some didn't even make it to the um the competition play like a uh, wow. competition venue um yeah. through travel sickness so this is what it's like i guess you know everyone's probably thinking thank god i just have to pack a bike so when we think a bike's hard hey you're like mm. um anyway so my yeah. mum at the time also i'd found out while i was in america had flown over to uh mexico to do um alternative medicine so there's some some people might um, know about it. There's some um, places around the world that do higher um, potencies, I guess, or doses of um, natural medicine. And it's just not that it's – I think in Australia they just – there's limits on what doses you can have. And, um, yeah. uh, Mum, to her credit, she went over there and she was in Tier 1 out of all places um, in a hospital there. And so I left the team after the World Championships and flew to uh, – no, I didn't fly anywhere actually. I got – I don't think. No, I did. I can't remember. No, I don't, I don't <laughs> think I did. I just remember being picked <laughs> up by someone um, – oh, I flew from Kentucky back to LA and then got picked up by – some guy in a van that then I felt like I was being smuggled and then got went over the border, the border into Tijuana, like freaking out. Wow. You no, know, I was on my own. He, I gave him my passport to go like get it checked. I'm like, okay, I'm probably just oh gosh. Oh, my kidney's here. Where am I going? Oh, my God. Anyway, so I got to Tijuana and <laughs> I spent the next week or so just, you know, it was a really tough time but I was there with mum and, she was doing the best she could and um, probably some of the most memorable moments because then I came home, got mum home. She was really sick but had some really, you know, priceless and quality time together and she came home and then sadly we lost her three months later and 
after that I had seen an experience like how quickly our lives can be taken and our loved ones lives can be taken um and I um retired from equestrian probably like four years later so I think the thing about leaving a sport is that it's unhealthy probably just to go uh, like shut the doors unless there's specific like reason or whatever but um so it, I think it took a took time, it took a few years to really understand why and when I was ready to leave. And for me, that meant selling my horse and totally leaving the equestrian world. Um, and initially, it was a time where I was like, "Oh wow! Like there goes my dreams of going to the Paralympics. My horses was my life. Like I had these goals that extended five, ten years, and I was left in the, in the unknown. And I yeah. just learned to embrace that and. Um, I, through that, um, I, I learn a lot about, hmm, okay, so I've learned that what I learned when I look back is that sometimes the biggest risks we take in life are in our hands but can lead to the, the most amazing outcomes and opportunities that we initially don't necessarily realise or give ourselves the opportunity to, um, to pursue if we don't take that step to to make that change and I think if that makes sense so for me I had to move out of that equestrian world um and then I it presented with this opportunity to um (laughs) well figure out how to run which I've only just probably nailed this season thanks to Danielle but um yeah I you know I um I used to swim as a kid so I had the option of um, starting to swim with the Paris swimmers, um, but my passion was the horses, so I stopped swimming and um, pursued equestrian. And, um, yeah, I just I admired triathletes, you know, I because um, I had absolutely no idea what to do. And I, um, someone at the AIS in 2008, I was in the pool because we didn't have our horses there. I don't know why, but we were in the water. And, um because, you know, swimming and horses go together. And someone said to me, oh, you know that um, triathlon's coming into the Games 2016, so we were were a while away. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I just laughed and said, yeah, funny, Um, because I was so into my horses. And anyway, I don't – I'd have to probably think about it. But a few years later, I was like, oh, I just wanted to get fit. I was really – you know, it wasn't in the best place mentally, um, with what had happened so I'd experienced a lot of lot of shit and had to deal with that and yeah you know from that really bad year yeah yeah had obviously really kicked in over a period of time like and that was also you know yeah it was also from a period of I wasn't doing what I knew how to do and that that I'd done my whole life so um and all of a sudden I think athletes face it too when they're sort of transitioning out of sport that still needs a bit more guidance in that space is that they're left in charge of their lives they don't have the coach telling them what to do in training they don't have the program that they're accountable for or the goals that they've set to so I was like woohoo although I was grieving but I was like kind of footloose and fancy free and I kind of just whatever did whatever I was still studying um yeah and so I just wanted to get fit you know I just I wasn't unhealthy but I had I knew that like there was some kind of relationship between like exercise and mental health and I thought okay we'll give it a go and I joined um I just joined like a local sort of 
training club, like gym, and they did running and stuff. And I just really enjoyed that social side of it. And then um, I, I loved how I felt mentally after going for a run or um, swimming. And plus I, I'm always one to go for like a goal-oriented um, environment. And, you know, I just joined a local tri club and it literally started from try, try to having no idea. But I, I had been in high performance sport for a while, so I knew how to apply myself. Um, mm. And that that possibility of maybe going to the, the Paralympics was like that dangling carrot, like, you know, in front of me. And it was like, mm. I still could go here. And so I thought, wow, this is amazing. I'm going to, I had less than two years to give it a really good crack. Um, so I basically applied what I knew in high performance sport mentally about how to dedicate, like the dedication and commitment it required. And I did that and I absorbed as much information I could from everyone that I was meeting um, in the triathlon world. And that's what I love so much about triathlon. It was, wasn't whether it was like, it could, it could be a pro, it could be a beginner or people in the middle. Everyone was willing to help you out and that was such a refreshing mm. part of the sport. It was very different in equestrian um, mm. and so I loved that and I just I f- really fell in love with it and just kept going and um, it's, a, it's a shame that Tokyo like wasn't right now because there's so much I have learnt from Rio that I would have loved to apply and I think I was in a really good spot this year but you know things change and we've got 12 more months so um, yeah I just fell in love with the sport and the people and the community and um, gave it a crack and that's where I ended up and you know it's ironic when I talk about um, the equestrian world is something I loved and always thought I did and would never have sort of better moments Um, but you know what like secretly I think I've had a shitload more fun in the triathlon Um, Short, short wow. career that I've had, yeah. Yeah. What do you What do you think your mum would say about your triathlon career? <laughs> I don't know. A lot of people say I oh, should be so proud of you and you're amazing. And um, it's interesting. I'm not sure. She. Um, but the sad thing is, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have been doing it. Right. So probably not anyway. I don't think so. Um, uh she probably think okay okay <laughs> okay <laughs> um but i know she would be right but she would probably like to go on all the the trips to the really cool places that i've been um yeah i think she'd be super supportive i guess oh no i'd still nah i nah let's let's be real here she'd probably still be like do you want to get on the horse do you want to go for a ride oh my gosh <laughs> that's so funny yeah but i I, can I like I'm just I'm just going to take a stab at this yeah. because being well we're both mums like our kids are pretty close in age and you know we've chatted a lot since becoming mums and I guess helped a little bit a little bit here and there navigate um our way through this new thing called motherhood mm. and you know listening to your story and and obviously I I knew a great part of your story but not all of it and I didn't realize how much you had cared for your mum like physically, not just I care for and love my mum, like you were actually there nursing her and everything. Yeah. Um, and as, like, if you think about it, if I, do you know, actually I'll ask you the question. In in your heart of hearts, what, what, what do you want for Henrik? 
in the grand scheme of things. Because I, I can tell you what I want for Frankie and it's just for her to be happy. Yeah, but what is happiness, right? And I think that's a key thing that we are all trying to figure out and I would say the same thing. It's it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so he turned two two days ago, Henrik did, and um, there's a book and I know Emma Jeff Coates across it and we were talking about it and she's posted stuff on her feed too, but that the boy, the fox, the horse and the mole, um, which I think is a book everyone should get. So I will send you the link if you don't know it, uh, Steph, and we can put it out there. And Yeah, we'll add it in the description of this podcast Yeah, so as well. this book is, it's not heaps of words, it's lots of drawings and it, it is so amazing because it's about this boy and his partnerships with these animals and they just, it, what it's teaching is you that being vulnerable is a strength and it's okay mm. to feel certain emotions and where we can find our happiness in who we are and the people around us. And I, even though Henrik just looked at it and thought, yeah, cool, mum, where's the toy toy with all the buttons and stuff? But I wrote a letter to it, let him, sorry, a letter to him in it, like saying, I'm, I'm giving this to you as your bo- a book on your second birthday, but I hope you, you know, you take it with you throughout life and as you get older, um, because it teaches us about happiness and in that is being vulnerable, which is a strength and it's okay to feel emotions. And so, yeah, I, I in short, I, I want him to be happy, but happy because he, um, it's a genuine ingrained thing within him. He, he's happy because he he's happy about himself. Um, he he yeah. likes who he is. Um, and... Um, yeah, I think that that's the thing that I found hard growing up too was just learning to love yourself a bit more and I hope, yeah, generally that he's happy and, look, I think if he wants to do a sport or not do a sport or whatever, like give life a go, give it a crack. Mm. So uh, uh, in my opinion, I'm pretty sure that's how your mum would feel as well. Like you're you're a pretty impressive human being. Oh, thanks, Steph. Well, you are, and I feel like, yeah, I th- I think she'd be pretty proud, and um, you know, obviously the person, the athlete, the mum, the the wife of of everything that you are. I've got no doubt about it, actually. <laughs> yeah. Look, ah, uh, thanks. I, you know, I've just, I've. I've always seen myself as a person that just likes to give life a really good crack and um, especially since losing mum, I think life's Mm. too short to live in fear, just go out and give something a go. Um, Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that means we have to make the hard choices um, about which trajectory we're going to attempt to pursue but um, we learn so much about ourselves along the way and, um, developing the self is something I'm so passionate about and I, I spend a lot of time mm. doing it myself and I think by doing that as an individual and as a mum, I think I then create an environment that allows Henry to develop that himself without me trying to, you know, like control that or um, pushing yeah. him in a certain direction. He can figure it out himself. Definitely. I... Um... <laughs> And this won't surprise you based on what I posted this morning on my Instagram. I was watching an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race <laughs> the other day. <laughs> yeah, I'm obsessed. 
Oh, I just, I'm obsessed with the show. I just, well, the show, the lifestyle, everything that they do, uh, all the drag queens, I just, I, oh, I just love it. I take so much from it. Um, and for those of you who don't know, I posted a, a video and uh, I um, um, linked one of the drag race, uh, RuPaul's drag race uh, contestants in it. Her name is Alyssa Edwards. And she replied to the tweet, and I've been off my head, like excited about it ever since. But the reason I bring that up is one of the questions in the finale was to one of the drag race contestants' mums, and they just said, um, "What, uh, what do you think?" Um, and I can't remember which one it was, but what do you think you have taught your your son? And the mother responded with. Uh, I don't think I've done that much shaping. He's actually shaped my life more mm. than he would ever know. And I was like, oh, God, that's just what an incredible response. Yeah. Um, because we do, you know, we kind of, and we do, obviously we're guiding and helping and all that kind of stuff. But in the short two years that um, Frankie and Henrik have been on this planet, I guess we have learned a lot about ourselves um, and they don't realise they're teaching us that, but they, yeah, they are definitely teaching us more about ourselves than we could ever know. I think one thing that's um, amazing about children is that they are just so in the moment. They just live in the moment. Oh, God, yeah. And they, that, we, were, we were their age too, right? So we've all come from yeah. the same same path in, um, in development and I think um, we yeah. need to remember that. Let's just be in the moment yep. a bit more. And his happiness now is is from such a small part of of his world. So we need to probably remember that as well. Yep. Doesn't always work out like that when they're screaming at you because they want <laughs> oh. Oh my God. the iPad or they want that piece of food and it's the end of the world. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can't. Hey, we're human, too. right? We make mistakes. We're allowed to. They do. We do. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> um, oh, this discussion got quite deep and I feel a bit weird. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, 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 not weird about that, but feel a bit weird about going, all right, we've got to shut things down. I'm going to throw just two quick questions no, at you. No, no, fine, go. Um, okay, so just because I've taken up so much of your time, but to wrap things up, um, one question I'm throwing at you, I'm throwing this at everyone who comes on the podcast now. Who is your uh, your favourite famous case outside the world of triathlon, so it can't be another case, oh. but a celebrity case. Who's your favourite? It can't be a triathlete? No. Oh, that sucks. Um, well, who would it be if it was a triathlete? Katie Ferris. She's a legend. I think uh, she, she just the mental stuff she does and I, she talks about it on social media and um, I love the holistic approach to an athlete's life and how they approach their performing and um i think she's great she's fantastic we've got i mean i i don't know her personally but she seems like a really down-to-earth person yeah all my dealings with her absolutely yeah very down-to-earth so um okay oh god you put me on the spot steph kate kate they are a famous kate Kate Middleton. Oh! <laughs> I'm probably going to go later. I'm going, no, I'm going to change it. No, I'm going to go with Kate Middleton. I don't know. She's classy. Um, okay. 
Royals. Who else? Interesting Who else is decision. There, Kate? There's, there's so many Kates in this world. Kate Blanchett, Kate Winslet. Fun fact for you, Kate Blanchett, my auntie owns the house that she grew up in. <laughs> there you go. Fun fact. Um, yeah, no, oh, yeah. We'll just go for Kate Middleton. Fair enough. Um, I don't understand how – I was actually just thinking about this the other day, um, again through Ru- RuPaul because I was watching <laughs> some stuff on YouTube, and but they were watching an episode of The Crown. Trixie and Katja, Katja sorry, were watching um, an episode of The Crown, which is all about the royal family, uh, I believe, and they were talking about it. And, anyway, that got me thinking. I don't understand – how the royals work, um, what well, they actually I don't do. Think I don't understand. I, okay, good, yeah. I've done zero research about it because obviously I don't care enough about it. But, yeah, it, that popped into my head. Yeah. <laughs> Carry on. Not yet. Um, okay. Got it. All right. So now if you can just, this next thing that we're going to do, I've just sent you a text message. This next thing is I was scrolling through your Instagram oh, feed. Shit. This is yeah, a new okay. game that we're playing. And I just need you, and we'll add this photo to uh, our, our Instagram feed when we promote this um, <laughs> uh, podcast yeah. episode. Yeah. Explain that photo. So, um, <laughs> so this is up at the up in the country, up in the farm where we go a lot. Um, I think this might have been pre worlds. No, well, I spent a lot of time overseas pre worlds um, prior to. Um, having a baby so um, you'll see my husband there has got a headband on um, and I've gradually taken off my layers so I'm in a t-shirt with stuff around my waist he's got a big jacket on he's on a posty bike which you can't see Um, but he was out there on my long run just coming with me more often than not I in my head I'm like oh you know it's always nice to have company and then he you know gets a little bit bored and he starts playing around and he's got one of my he's got another jacket of mine tucked into his jacket and he also has a box of yeah. chocolates under there um oh. we had to, we were dropping off at a a neighbor's place so um I don't that was he I can't remember to be honest but he said something funny um, and I've just looked at him without realising, like, that he's sitting there taking selfies and photos of us out running. So, um, yeah, that's what it's about. We're just I was just out running and he's probably said something that I'm like, can you just shut up? Like, that's annoying me. But then he's caught that moment perfectly. So that headband he's got on his mind, I reckon I probably had that on as well. It was so cold at the time. Um, yeah. And he's layered up with everything, jackets, chocolates, on the posty bike. I love it. I also love that, like, his facial expression is very Zoolander blue steel. Yeah, he's um, He is, yeah. Like, it's a great photo. Uh, I, I actually really love the photo. And I feel, he, I'm trying to figure out who he looks like. And that he's a little bit um, Jax Teller from. Oh, it sounds um, Yeah, don't you yes, reckon? Yes, I think that's why I married him. Yeah, good choice. <laughs> Well, maybe yeah. don't marry Jack Teller, but you know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm getting very much Jack Teller vibes, um, and we would love to hear Ron's opinion when I post this. And for photo those who haven't watched Sandra you should watch it. It's good. Such a good show. Such a good show. 
I feel like it maybe went one or two seasons too long, um, but I stuck with it. Such a good show. Yeah, it was good. It was good. But the, it it has to come with warnings as well because there's some really full-on parts to it. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just love it. That's good. Yeah. Very good show. Um, Kate, sorry I've taken up so much of your time. I know that you're a very busy woman, but I do appreciate it. Um, I feel like I've got so much more to talk to you about, so maybe I say this at the end of every episode, actually. Let's do another one because I want to keep talking. Let's do, let's do like, uh, point 2.0. Let's go with the theme at the moment oh. in Melbourne since we're in lockdown 2.0 and I'm yeah. always up for it. If we've got any more listeners, you know, it. let's do it. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've got nothing else to do being in lockdown now, so we may as well just keep talking. 2.0. Let's do it. Thanks, Steph. I've really enjoyed the chat. <laughs> Thank you so much. I am going to hit stop, but don't don't go anywhere, okay? And now, hang on. Another fun fact for you. I love it. Bring it. Frankie and I share the same birthday. So. Wait, did I not know that? She's the, it wasn't her birthday. No. 13th of August. Yes. Yeah. Ah, good people. Yay. I love it. Does that mean we can have joint that joint is- Friday the 13th parties when it falls on the, the, the Friday and we can dress up as um, scary people? <laughs> um, yes. You know that I'm up for yeah, that. Yeah, cool. And the dogs and everything, that we'll, we'll get it all going. Oh, my gosh. I wonder what year it falls on. Okay, we'll do a research. It must be coming up. I, love I it. reckon it would be coming up. Let's hope it's not this year. Oh. No, it's the 14th. Yeah. Lucky. Yeah, it's on, yeah, it's on a Thursday. Yeah. Cool. That was a great fact. Thank you. <laughs> These are Kate, Kate Ness's fun facts Yay. on the Wits Up podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, my friend. You stay well and we'll catch up with you again soon. Thanks, Steph. See you later. Thanks for tuning in. Hit subscribe, give us a rating, leave a comment, and don't forget, if you're not already a Wits Up Patreon member, sign up in the link in the description. But above all else, keep yourself knee-deep in awesomeness.